A quick reminder, the hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. Welcome to episode number 45. Wow, can't believe we're that far down the line. Uh, This is Mike Frost, and today on the podcast, we'll be discussing an exciting topic. Matt is just overwhelmed with excitement. David is jumping up and down. They can't hardly wait to get to this one. We're going to talk about the impact of death on a spouse on your finances. Exciting news, right, guys? Well, it's not exciting, but unfortunately it is, you know, death is part of life and it's, it's something that you need to be aware of and, and it's a planning factor. Any any good thorough financial plan needs to include what happens in the event of death because it is going to happen, unfortunately. And people can tell the excitement in David's voice. He's just, just dying to get to this. Uh, no pun intended, of course. <laughs> yeah, Matt? definitely important topic. Uh not like David said, not not the most exciting, but very very important. So we, I think it's a good topic to spend some time on. Well, that was David, our CEO, and Matt, our senior vice president, and also on the podcast today we have, as normal, Natalie, our producer and marketing director. Natalie, you're excited about this topic, right? This, oh yes, for hundred <laughs> percent. All right, folks, we were kind of joking a little bit here, but it is an important topic, and you know, as our population ages. Uh, then this is going to happen. If you're married, one of you is going to die first, most likely. And so we're going to give you some tidbits today. What should you be expecting? All right, let's talk about the first thing. One of you passes away. What does that do to your taxes and how you file your taxes? Uh, Guys, any of you guys got any advice for our listeners? Well, um, most of you probably know the uh, tax rates for a single or a widowed or widower. Uh, single the single tax rates are less favorable than married tax rates. Um, it's roughly it's roughly like ten or fifteen percent higher, I think, for a single person versus a married person. N- not to mention, so not only are the tax brackets less favorable, but you also have a lower deduction, right? For married filing jointly, your standard deduction is like twenty five thousand dollars for. A single person, it's it's half that twelve thousand five hundred. So um, so more of your income is taxable, and the income that is taxable is taxed at a less favorable rate. So it's kind of a double whammy. So if you got your retirement plan planned out as a married couple, as you should, and now one of you passes away and the income stays the same and your tax deduction gets cut in half, you're going to have a rude awakening when it comes to file your taxes. So you need to plan for that. And one way to plan for that is doing a whole lot of Roths now so you don't owe any taxes on it. Okay, so know about filing taxes. It will change and it will make a lot of difference. Now, the one thing you will get to do, the year of the passing of that spouse, you still get to file married filing jointly. And that's a great time to start doing some planning. Do things that year that you can't do going forward in a tax wise such as Roth conversions like you were just such saying Roth right conversions. so um when, because as you probably know for those of you who've been working with us for a while or if you've been listening to the podcast for a while we've talked about Roth conversions before when you do a Roth conversion that's a taxable event that raises your uh that could potentially bump you into a higher bracket well if the 
if you already know that the married filing jointly tax brackets are more favorable than the single tax brackets, and if your spouse dies that early in the year, that's a great year to do Roth conversions to try to mitigate the future tax risk on those IRAs. Very good point. Okay, Social Security. Uh, If you're in retirement, you're probably on Social Security. You're both probably receiving some type of Social Security, and one of you passes away. Matt, what happens to their Social Security payments? Yeah, so the a very important factor is that the the surviving spouse will get to keep the larger of the two benefits. So if the spouse that passed, if their Social Security benefit was say two thousand dollars a month, and yours is a thousand, then you'll get to keep the two thousand. Now you won't get to keep both, right? You don't get to keep yours and the two thousand, but you will get to keep receiving the larger of the two. So that's a Definitely something to be aware of so that you can get, you know, um, make that change and update it as quickly as possible. And these are called survivor benefits. Now, there's a couple of rules around survivor benefits. The soonest you could take them would be 60. Now, we're just making an assumption here. You're already past that point. But if you're not, the soonest you can take survivor benefits is 60 unless you are permanently disabled before the death of the spouse. Also, um, if your spouse dies and you're younger than 60 and you remarry, before your 60th birthday, you're not eligible for that deceased spouse benefit. So if you plan on getting married, wait till you get past 60 and then get remarried and you'll be okay. And then, you know, kind of also along this note, just as far as a personal story, you know, my, my mother-in-law, her husband died. uh, I think she was maybe 50, 51 years old, something like that. She had never worked. Um, And so she was in a really tough spot for about a decade there before she was before she was 60 which is when she became eligible to finally collect social security to collect her widow widow's benefit from social security so here's another planning aspect you know uh, for for the primary income earner in the family whether that be the man or the 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 husband or the wife the man or the woman Make sure you've thought about life insurance planning and make sure you've got an adequate amount of life insurance to take care of of that surviving spouse if something happens because you don't want to be in a situation like my mother-in-law was in where you've got a where you're you're kind of you know struggling for a decade before you've got a, a reliable income source to to draw from that's a great point david because last night during our uh, our teaching the money school live uh we were going over the insurance lesson and we talked about that in depth and our rule of thumb is to have about 12 times life insurance 12 times your income, whatever that may be, 12 times that is what you should have. And we recommend level term. And depending on how old you are is how long that level term. Matt here just got him some today or he's applying for some today. You're doing a 30-year level term, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm applying for 30-year. We'll see what my rating is before <laughs> I lock that in. But yeah, that's planned to just try to lock it in while I'm still young and healthy for as long as possible. So Matt and Natalie would be doing 30-year. David may only want to do 20. At my age, at 61, you know, I do a shorter term. We won't yeah. say how much shorter, but shorter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about taxes. We've talked about Social Security benefits. Now, let's say that you were a government employee or your spouse was, and they passed away, or they have a pension of some sort. David, what are these things called GPO and WEP? What do they mean to anybody? So GPO stands for governmental pension offset, and WEP stands for windfall elimination provision. So there are certain states out there, ones I can think of off the top of my head are 
uh, uh, Texas, uh, Louisiana, I think California, those are just the three I know right off the top of my head. Um, states where you, um, you have a pension from the state, for example, let's take Texas. Um, let's say you were a teacher in the state of Texas. And so you worked for a long career. You're going to have a pension from the state of Texas. Texas is one of those states though, that didn't contribute as much to social security because some kind of deal they worked out with the government decades ago, I guess, but they're not contributing as much on your behalf to the social security system because they're contributing more to your, to your pension, to the Texas pension fund in this example. Well, as a result, your social security benefit is going to be much lower than someone uh, who had a pension from another state. For example, Arkansas teachers don't have that windfall elimination provision. So if you are a teacher in Arkansas, you retire, you're going to have a pension from the state of Arkansas, and you're going to have your full Social Security benefit. But if you were a teacher in the state of Texas, you're going to have your Texas pension, but you're going to have almost no Social Security benefit. So that's called the windfall elimination provision, and uh, and it can have significant planning impacts, which we'll talk about. Great point, Dave. So if you have pensions, it, you need to know that are you affected by this governmental pension offset or windfall elimination provision? provision. Okay. Yeah. And the, the planning aspect of it is, here again, life insurance can be used to plan. If you know that your spouse, is, that you or your spouse is going to have a significant loss in social security income, especially if the when the spouse with the pension dies, let's say that you, you had the windfall elimination provision, you took the life only pension option. Then when you die, your spouse gets none of that, um, none of that, uh, pension that you had. Plus they're, they're going to get basically no social security from you because the spouse, when the spouse dies, this, you get to keep the higher of the two social security checks. Well, with the windfall elimination provision, as we just explained, the social security check is basically nothing. So uh, the surviving spouse is going to have not very, in many cases, not very much social security income left over. So you need to be aware of that, be aware that that's an issue. And you can, if you're aware that it's an issue, you can plan around it with life insurance planning. And therefore, that's why we do these podcasts. So hopefully both spouses are still alive and you hear this stuff and you're like, well, what is that? pertain to us. If you're not sure, make an appointment, come in and we'll go over all your information and we'll make sure you know exactly what you have. The last thing you want to do is have a spouse pass away. You have that loss and then realize, whoops, the pension's gone too. Now on pensions, for someone to take a hundred percent life on their life only, the spouse has to sign off on that. So we, I don't think we ever recommend that. We, there may be a situation we could, but most often we recommend a joint payout. Right, Matt? Yes, unless, going back to David's points, unless you have a specific plan and have implemented like the life insurance component because, you know, what, what you can essentially do is choose the higher payout for your life only knowing there would be this large payout upon your death. And as, as long as you have that in place before you have to make that election, then, you know, there can be situations where that makes sense for sure. And, and that's something we can help people with. If you, if, if you haven't reached retirement yet and you're going to have this pension uh, election decision coming up in your future where you have to decide, like Matt was saying, whether you take a larger monthly amount that's guaranteed for your life only, or a little bit smaller amount that's guaranteed for your life and your spouse's life. Um, 
we can help you make the best decision whether you should take the larger amount or the smaller amount. If you take the smaller amount, you would also buy a life insurance policy to protect the, or excuse me, if you take the large life only amount, you would also need to purchase a life insurance policy that protects the surviving spouse should the spouse with the pension die first. So definitely some planning opportunities that you need to be aware of. And, um, and just being aware that those are planning opportunities is probably the most important thing. You don't necessarily have to understand how it all works. That's our job. You just need to understand that, that there is a right and a wrong way to do things. And so prior to making some of those critical retirement decisions, make sure you sit down with a qualified advisor that can help you make the best decision that's in your best interest. Again, that's the reason we do the podcast, just to pique your interest. And if you have a need for planning, please come see us. Matt, we're going to jump to inherited IRAs. Okay, the spouse that passed away had an IRA. What can the surviving spouse do with that? So the surviving spouse essentially gets to treat it like their own personal IRA, right? So the spouse, when it's the spouse that passed and that's who you inherited the IRA from, then they, you just take it over and R, the RMD rules still apply and everything were to, operates as if it were your own personal IRA. If it's, I know it's not the main point of today's topic, but if it's an inherited IRA from a non-spouse, from a parent, you know, then there are different rules and having to take the money out over a certain period of time. But for a spousal IRA, something that you inherit, you can um, just you you essentially treat it like your own. Now, what something I just learned this morning from Mike is that you can actually disclaim the IRA, meaning you can just say, "Hey, I don't want it." Pass it on to the contingent beneficiary. So, not too many situations where that might make sense. But let's say the contingent beneficiary were were to be you know your child, and you were wanting to leave money to them anyways, and they could inherit this IRA in a much more favorable tax bracket or tax situation than you could potentially, you know, you might say, well, I'm going to leave them money anyways. They can pay less taxes on it. Let's just hand it down to them. And you never take control of it to begin with. And another point, Matt's talking about inherited IRAs. If you're not sure, come talk to us and let's help you make a good decision based off of facts. Okay. Inherited IRAs. Okay. All right. So you have a house. Now your, your, your spouse passes away and you don't need this big house and you decide you want to sell it. There's some special rules around that now with a deceased spouse. Uh, David, do you have any idea what these rules are? No. <laughs> well, I do, David, as a matter of fact. So here's the rules. If you decide to sell your home within two years of the spouse passing, you still get the $500,000 exclusion, meaning if you bought the house for 200000 and you sell it for 700000 you get that $500,000 of profit tax-free. But you got to do that within two years of the spouse passing away. Well, what if you decide to sell it after two years, the spouse passing away? Well, under current law, unless Uncle Joe changes things, you get to the step-up on your spouse's half of the cost basis. If you decide to sell the house after two years, and now it's worth seven hundred thousand, you pay two hundred thousand. Your half of the cost basis is a hundred. Your deceased spouse half of the cost basis is a hundred, but you get the step up on their half. So now you get three hundred and fifty thousand dollars tax free. Set that aside. 
Now your cost basis is 100. You add that to it, so now you got 450 thousand dollars of free cost basis. House is worth 700 thousand, 450. You sell it and you make 250 thousand dollars. Well, a single person gets. $250,000 exclusion. So now you can sell the house and pay zero tax, even after two years. So not don't expect you to remember all this. If you have these questions, please contact someone that can help you with that before you go and end up paying a bunch of tax that you don't have to. That's when you sell in the house after your spouse passes away. All right, last topic. This is the one that Matt is excited about. It's called Deceased Spouse Unused Exemption. Under current law, the estate tax doesn't kick in until after about $11 million of estate. Okay? So if a spouse passes away, they can leave it all to you. As long as it's under $11 million, you're fine. But if you also have $11 million, now you're at $22 million. And then if you pass away, somebody's going to pay tax on that. The way to prevent that is to file a tax return for the unused exemption on your spouse. And that way you can have all 22 million tax free. If you don't file that exemption though, it goes away and you got to do it within a specific period of time. So if this happens to you, give us a call right away. Don't wait. And let's see if we can help you walk through here. All right. Any parting thoughts from you guys before we get to our summary? Uh, yeah, as far as parting thoughts, I, you know, kind of like we've said over and over again throughout this, you don't necessarily need to remember all the details or the why. The bottom line is to understand there, there are things you may not be aware of that are planning considerations. And uh, so anytime you have a change coming up in life, whether that be a retirement where you're having to make pension claiming decisions, you have a death in the family, a death of a spouse, um, or you're even better yet, you're planning forward to what happens in the event that someone in your family does pass away because it's going to happen to all of us. Make sure you have a plan for all those things, or more importantly, make sure you talk to an advisor who can help put together a plan to um, take into consideration all of these contingencies. Great point, David. We all are getting older, and we all are going to die. Nobody knows somebody's lived forever unless Jesus comes back first. So planning is the key, and you're doing your spouse a favor by doing that. So just doing a few things right now to prepare, to prepare for this eventual moment will provide both of you and your family peace of mind that you've taken care of all the financial needs when that time comes. If you'd like to sit down with us and go over your situation, we'll be happy to do that. Natalie's going to give us the website here in a second. Our phone number is 479-876-2100. So Natalie, tell them how they can get in touch with us, how they can ask questions on the podcast. Any other tidbits you'd like to offer? Yes, the easiest way is to go to our website, mock1fg.com. M-A-C-H numeric one FG.com. And we have a contact us button for any general inquiries, or you can go to the podcast tab and there is a form where you can submit questions for our podcast, but we would, we would love to hear from you. Natalie, you do a great job because there's a whole lot of uh, editing that goes on in our podcast here. If you guys could hear the whole thing, you'd just, <laughs> it'd be hilarious. Okay. Well, thank you, Natalie. You do a great job again. You make us all look good on this podcast. So our thought of the day today, again, Matt loves this topic. Death leaves a heartache no one can heal. Love leaves a memory 
no one can steal. That's it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you like it, hit like down here. Share it with someone that you know. Uh, If you have any questions, please submit those. And we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mach-1financial.com disclosures.